0: Everybody. Hi, Reads and Weeds listeners. This is Shelly. Happy New Year. It's February, February 3rd. And as you know, normally they there are two shows a month, um, but I just kind of skipped January. I had a really busy December, and then I had another show at the beginning of January, and then I had to fly to California, and I suddenly was, I was still reading all the time. Just wasn't recording. So I hope everyone read a lot over the holidays and got books they love and will recommend more books to me. Um, but I'm so glad to be back and I've been so excited to read this book with someone. And if you know this author, you'll you'll love it. Today we're talking about Anxious People by Frederick Bachman, who wrote one of my favorite books ever, which is A Man Called Ove, and the original movie was I don't know maybe 2000. 13 or 14 Swedish. And it's been redone into a movie that Tom Hanks is in called a man called Otto. And it's just yeah. coming out like this year. And if it's anything, I mean, I bawled so hard when I read a man called Ove. Ah, and then the movie is pretty, it's, it's amazing. So I'm hoping if you've never heard of Frederick Bachman, before that after you listen to this, you'll go run and read a bunch of things that he's done cause it's so good. So today with me is a first time reader on the show. <laughs> so I'm here with Emily Petersmark and um, we were just at a show together, uh, the eBird and Friends Holiday Show. Say hi, Emily. Hey. <laughs> so good to be here. Yes, yeah, so good to be here. And, um, we, when there's a huge cast in the show, which we do at the ARC in Ann Arbor. And I put a poster on the wall that basically said, Hey, I do this podcast. And if anybody wants to read with me and smoke weed, you can, you know, let me know. And, uh, and people have been trickling in slowly. (laughs) So it's going to be fun. And Emily is, um, is the first one from the show that wanted to read and I just threw this book out there to you right yeah you did okay okay okay
1: awesome. great great um, suggestion
0: yes yes so tell uh, I like to start with this story so tell um tell the listeners what you think is the first time we met and how we know each other and also what do you love to read what do you what is your thing
1: okay okay so I'm going to preface this story by saying my memory is real spotty. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I have a really bad face memory. So it is entirely possible that we have probably met prior to this point. But this is like yeah. where Shelly became like a full human to me and not just like, you know, Shelly at the show, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. And it was during that Ebert holiday show, my first one. <laughs> we were backstage somewhere, and for some, what,
0: was it not at the ARC? Did we do it year not at the ARC? Uh, yeah, a bunch. They were at the Heartland High School, Heartland Music Hall. You did one, I think, at the Heartland High School, maybe Heartland Music Hall. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. I remember we were in a music room, and we were just dicking around with Brandon, and we took a bunch of photos <laughs> together. Oh, yeah, with, yeah, like, yeah. A- and like a like a big fuzzy boot
0: (laughs) oh really oh my god that's ridiculous I remember being in that big old dressing room at the high school and Brandon having maybe because there was props in the high school what like a big horse head yes yes
1: Yes. where did that come from and we were just in front of this black curtain and I think maybe we oh, were yeah. a little but <laughs> there's just like a sure. series of wrestling and hugging exactly. it has a beard like a santa beard <laughs>
0: oh my god oh that's ridiculous that sounds right that sounds yeah. right I loved that theater made me realize like if you grow up in a school like that where you have money and like a huge stage and band equipment and all that yeah. stuff. I and mean, you you go out into the real world and try to do community theater and you're like, wait, you mean there's just nothing? It's just a blank room? <laughs> we got to make up everything else? Holy crap. Yeah, that, that theater was pretty awesome. That theater was pretty awesome. So uh, Emily, I didn't say this in the first round of introductions, but Emily Petersmark is a singer guitar player songwriter visual artist solo and with the crane wives correct yeah Uh yes (laughs) <laughs> has a show coming up at the pyramid scheme on february 12th
1: yeah yeah so next go. sunday
0: next yeah. sunday yay <laughs> okay. so if you're in the grand rapids area or you're just looking for a reason to drive across the state in the snow then <laughs> or the world right. uh it's be a great show. go to it go to it um Ooh. and we work together uh at the holiday show this past December. And it was so great to see you on your own. It was just a, such a treat, such a treat. So tell me about your reading history. Have you been a bookworm your whole life? Do you tend towards like a certain style or what?
1: So I, I was one of those kids who like devoured books, you know, um, the last school fair could keep up with me. And As I got older, um, particularly, like, once we started touring, so probably, like, 2011, I I just, I don't know, like, reading in the car kind of makes me car sick. And, yeah, so it's, like, I found other things to do. Like, I started listening to more podcasts and more, like, just digging into more music and also, like, focusing on visual art instead just doesn't make me feel as sick in the car, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. I, about that time I stopped reading a lot. But when I was reading like all the time, I love I love fiction books. Um particularly young adult fiction. <laughs> I yes. love YA books. Me too. Um yeah. like sci-fi, fantasy, um murder mystery, thriller. I I don't know. There's Very little I won't dig into and enjoy at least a little bit. Um, Yeah. But I would say mostly, like lately, I've I've been reading more graphic novels, which is kind of like a nice...
0: Oh, okay. You'll have to recommend a few to me because we haven't really done a graphic novel on here. It's like one of the very few things. It's one of the very few things that we've never done. I don't Wow, Okay. So, and I have old favorites because I used to live with a librarian who would just bring me things home and be like, you should know about this. You should know about this. So there was a couple of great graphic novels um, from that era, but I want to know what's going on now. I want to know what people are liking and yeah. Or just fav- classics. So yeah, we'll talk about that too. We'll talk about that. any off the top of your head. Um.
1: Well, it's definitely not new, but Persepolis if anyone's, like, getting into graphic novels, that is, like, absolutely where I would send you because the story is really good, um, and it, it's just illustrated in a way that makes what would be a really, like, difficult... It is a very difficult story to, like, kind of consume, but it is, yeah, you know, it's just beautiful, and there's, like, a childlike innocence about the way the story is told, um, and... It deals with some pretty heavy subject matters. So I would highly recommend starting there.
0: Okay. Persepolis. Okay. Um, but today we're going to talk about Anxious People by Frederick Bachman. Have you read anything by him before?
1: No, I have not. This was my first Frederick Bachman
0: book. Yeah. Okay. So um, give me your first. So Frederick Bachman, for everyone who hasn't heard of him yet, he's probably about 41 years old. I think he was born in 81 and he's Swedish and he, um, his first novel, I think, was in 2015, A Man Called Ovid, which I mentioned earlier. And his style is this very human. It's it's a it's such an interesting mix of like very direct human relationships,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but it's very like charming and heartbreaking and, and real. Like there's no, he doesn't really put a sheen on anything. <laughs> he, he just lays it out. Uh, he's, and his character, his self is kind of a curmudgeon. If you've ever heard of him in an interview or anything, he is, he I, an I can 100%
1: person. see that. I'm actually kind of surprised to hear he's so young. I expected yeah. him to be maybe a little bit older. No, but no. Very no. Interesting.
0: Yeah, he's uh yeah, I think he's about 41 right now in 2023 mm-hmm. is when we're listening to this. So um and his characters are, are they're very real. Nobody's being overly shiny, you know, or sexy in these books that I mean if
1: anything, they're like overly ridiculous.
0: It's oh right. Like, Right, but but also I think he just says all the things that he says all the the bad not the bad things but like he he lets people be as fucked up as they are yeah. <laughs> and as weird as they are. But so I want to give you a shot at just kind of laying out the overall. Do a summary of the okay. book. Like, tell us what is happening. I tried to do this for
1: my partner last night and I was like the worst convoluted stony conversation. So I'm going (laughs) to do my best. is about a bank robber who Uh fails at robbing a bank and ends up in a hostage situation in which they accidentally hold an entire apartment viewing hostage. Um, Some complicated things happen um, and through a process of, learning about each other, all the characters start... There's intense conflict because everybody's very different, but then through those, those in conflicts, they're able to see how they're the same and how this current of insecurity and loneliness runs through all of them and the yeah. sense of isolation. And so it kind of brings them together as a community and in doing so enables them to empathize with the bank robber and um, eventually they set them free. And um, there are also two police officers who are investigating the case of the bank robbery and the whole story is told in non-chronological order, which makes it a little bit... This is why it's like very difficult to explain because right, right,
0: right, right, right. Because you're, you're starting, starting out in, things, you
1: kind of starting at the end.
0: <laughs> yes, yes. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes. So, and <laughs> so if you hear this explanation, you're like, "Ooh, it's a hostage situation, and it's cops, but it's oh, not it's, the way you would picture it." No, the the stakes
1: are still very low. Like that the was one Stakes thing that are low. That that. I, it kind of bothered me, like, before Shelly had started the podcast, um, like, hit record, I had been talking about how this book um, was just one that I had to sit with, because initially I felt, like, this very, like, very intense feelings about it, and part of um, my dislike of it was that, like, from, as, from American perspective, like, interactions with the police aren't funny, right? Like, generally (laughs) speaking... They're not funny, um, and I get that this person is not an American writer, and um, obviously his perspective is different, and these are supposed to be characters, but I had a hard time like feeling, like wanting to like the police officers. I think no. because of the bias of like, I don't really trust American police officers all that.
0: Oh, time. interesting, so I didn't, I, oh my gosh, okay, yeah. So I had like,
1: yeah. um, But all that said, I think that even with that in mind, the book tells a bigger story about how humans are humans. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> and yeah. granted, right? Oh yeah. Um, and I think that that not every book has to like be the thing that says everything about everyone. But I think that this says a lot about like, especially. Like, I don't know, that surface level of anxiety that we all have to different degrees and how unifying it is and how isolating it can be to not have a community of people who understand that. Like, I felt like so much of the book was about, like, being an island and how hard that is and how that would eventually drive somebody to feel like, what's the point of continuing?
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it is about so many things. It's interesting. I didn't think about the cops at all, except in, in the way that in the way that they're a father-son and they're dealing with the death of the mom and they're kind of fumbling around in a small town, you know, like sure. it's the day before they're fumbling around and it's more about their tense relationship. But so and what the things that they don't their- say to each other. Yes, yes. The 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 setup, the scene in which all of these people are finding out about each other is is this. Apartment viewing—it's the day before New Year's Eve, and there's an apartment viewing. And all of these people you find out are there for different reasons—reasons reasons that you really don't understand at the beginning. So it's a ridiculous thing why some of them are there. Like only one of them is really in need of an apartment. Actually, <laughs> so it's just this very weird thing about like why are they there and what happens is they didn't really think they were going to have to interact with each other. They were just, you know, going to be there as long as you're at an apartment viewing an hour or something. minutes. <laughs> and then when they're stuck together, it is revealed how strange all of their situations are. And the, Tension or really like lack of tension and the way they react to what could be a volatile situation is comical and almost idiotic. But this is the way it starts. I just need to read this because this will give you such a a sense of Frederick Bachman's style. And when it and, and when you read it, it immediately I'm just gonna read it. So very from the very beginning. I'm gonna read quite a bit here, but just because it's so human a bank robbery, a hostage drama, a stairwell full of police officers on the way to storm an apartment. It was easy to get to this point, much easier than you might think. All it took was one single really bad idea. This story is about a lot of things, but mostly about idiots. So it needs saying from the onset that it's always very easy to declare that other people are idiots, but only if you forget how idiotically difficult being human is especially if you have other people you're trying to be a reasonably good human being for, because there's such an unbelievable amount that we're all supposed to be able to cope with these days. You're supposed to have a job and somewhere to live and a family, and you're supposed to pay taxes and have clean underwear and remember your password to your damn Wi-Fi. Some of us never managed to get the chaos under control. So our lives simply carry on, the world spinning through space at 2 million miles an hour when we bounce on a surface like so many socks, our hearts are bars of soap that we keep losing hold of. The moment we relax, they drift off and fall in love and get broken all in the wink of an eye. We're not in control, so we learn to pretend all the time about our jobs and our marriages and our children and everything else. We pretend we're normal, that we're reasonably and well-educated, that we understand amorization levels and inflation rates that we know how sex works in truth we know much about sex work as what usb leads and it always takes us four tries to get those little buggers in we pretend to be good parents when all we really do is provide our kids with food and clothing and tell them off when they put chewing gum they find on the ground in their mouths we mind we tried keeping tropical fish and they all died We really don't know more about children than tropical fish. So the responsibility frightens the life out of us each morning. We don't have a plan. We just do our best to get through the day because there'll be another one coming along tomorrow. Sometimes it hurts. It really hurts for no other reason than the fact that our skin doesn't feel like ours. Sometimes we panic. Because the bills need paying and have to be a grown up. We don't know how because it's so horribly, desperately easy to fail at being grown up because everyone loves someone. And anyone who loves someone has had those desperate nights where we lie awake trying to figure out how we can afford to carry on being human beings. Sometimes that makes us do things that seem ridiculous in hindsight, but which felt like the only way out at the time. So, the reason why I read that is because all of these characters, um, maybe I'll give Emily a stab at just like talking about the characters. So <laughs> all these characters are in, in, in a particular state <laughs> at this moment, and they're doing things for some reason that is kind of spun out like the, the the bank robber, the seed of their actions kind of spun out from a particularly tragic childhood, and you know, a, a divorce. Messy
1: divorce.
0: Yes, and kind of last resort, sort of panic decision. There's a woman there who's not even looking for an apartment, but she has this whole story about her life. And there's this other woman who is seems like a cold, like Zyra. Yes. Yes. And then there's a couple and your things are being revealed about them as they go along. You might start off thinking the woman is one thing and she becomes another thing and the man and why they're at the house and all of these things. Um, but that first passage lets, you know, I think that he's, he's being forgiving. He's saying like, we' we're, we're this kind of weird human because life is hard and everybody's yeah. trying to do it in a way just to cling. So tell me something about the characters that surprised you or what you thought of as your favorite characters or just describe the characters because they're so fascinating all of them
1: there were yeah, there were a lot of characters that stuck out to me. I really loved Nadia um and she is Zara's therapist right Oh my god! I, I just, I felt like without Nadia, the whole book falls apart. And oh really? Yeah, because for me, Nadia is that that voice that is telling people it's okay. Like she is the narrator, telling people like we are all a mess. Like no one's gotta figure it out. I yeah. You know, like she has her own past and things that she struggled with. And she, even while everybody's being an idiot, she's the one who, the only one who has patience with the idiots, Um, because they don't have patience with each other, and (laughs) I—that's what compounds the conflict. Um, This idea that we're all um, there's a quote in the book about conflict where Zara asks, "Why would I want to avoid conflict?" Um, because her therapist, Nadia, is trying to give her skills to avoid conflicts in the future. Yes. And I just remember feeling, like, very struck by that comment because that was something that I thought of, like, as a young person going through therapy. Like, I've had my therapist, like, be, I've had that conversation. Oh, um, um, yeah. It just felt very real. Um <laughs> to have somebody remind you like you don't have to go through your life like in fight or flight like Mm -hmm. the world is hard it's already so hard
0: yeah Yeah. so the way he writes these characters is it's so interesting it's like he just makes people up and throws them in a room together and watches what happens is what it feels like but it's so there's so much like hidden pain underneath all these people who happen to be this department viewing. And Zara, the one who is in the story, but you're hearing her side life through her therapist meetings with Nadia, who she knows is the one who tried to jump off the bridge. Um, She knows it the whole time she's going to see her. And it's this super slow reveal so this other layer of this book is that the apartment viewing uh, off the balcony, you can see this bridge and the bridge ties together many of the people. So the younger of the two cops um, stopped someone or did not stop someone from jumping off that bridge years ago when he was a little boy and it's affected his entire life. He said, yeah, he tried. And the man still jumped. And then the next week he tried and someone didn't jump. Or like week after week after week, he would go back to the bridge because he felt like saving people. And the woman who didn't jump off the bridge ends up being Nadia, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep.
1: And, and the first man who jumped off the bridge um, that the the younger cop. So there's an older cop, Jim, younger cop, Jack. Um, And Jack was unable to save this man who had a closer connection to Zara's life. And he had actually left her his suicide note, which she had never opened. And because of that, she had also been watching the bridge and had seen Nadia get pulled away by Jack um, before she could jump. And through all of these things coming together um it it kind of just exposes how close we are to being those people on the bridge like how it it made Nadia completely question her whole life um just having that experience that brush with death and then asking herself like am
0: i happy <laughs> yeah yeah And they can see, like, everybody can see the bridge. Everybody's had some experience with this bridge. And so what you start finding out about Zara, slowly but surely, is that she's a banker, that if you met her, she might seem like a scary, powerful woman who took no shit. Well, she's also kind of
1: like, she's nihilist, She's very cold and she doesn't like other people yes. and she thinks everyone's yes. going meet her. And she comes to these apartment viewings to basically just like look at the lower class and see how they live, like they're animals in a zoo. Like she right. is, she's, but again, there's layers. Or to so that, she isn't. says, or mm-hmm. so she thinks.
0: Or yeah, so exactly. She, she's built this story up kind of that that's what she's doing. But I think she's just can never stop moving or she'll feel too much. You know, and I also like,
1: think that there's something in her that like needs that superiority, like that idea that I am better because I have money, because otherwise she's so concerned about whether or not she's a good person still. And she talks about the ethics of banking and how she knows that what she does is unethical, loaning money, knowing that the market's going to crash and people aren't going to be able to pay it back. And she's ruining people. Um, yeah. And she knows that. And I think that all of those, like her haughtiness, her coldness, her belittling of other people stems from a very deep need to feel like she is superior, like she's she's good.
0: There's a there's a wonderful coexistence of, I guess I would say fear. And and masking w- among everybody that's there, yes. right? She's trying to be strong, but obviously she's all defensive and kind of living in a, way that's in a way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then the couple is Annalena and Roger. 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 They w- You meet them and they kind of just seem like a semi-retired couple who really likes redoing houses together. Like that's their fun. But then Mm -hmm. these layers start coming up where you might think, or I thought at least that maybe Annalena was a little submissive to him. Yeah. Yeah. But then it starts being revealed that it's because he let her go forward in her career and she always kind of felt a little bad because he could have gone forward with his career, but he took care of the kids while she went up the ranks. Mm -hmm. And And then by the
1: time he was able to get back to work, they forced him into retirement.
0: Yes. Yes. And so she's trying to give him, it's so heartbreakingly sweet. Cause at first you're like, (laughs) it's like, why are they like this? And then when you unfold all the layers and you see that she's trying to make him feel valued as a man, you know, that's what she's doing. It's weird, it's dysfunctional, you know. Yeah. For example, she hires a professional
1: disruptor and well, this person is just, he's, the for the first like three chapters he's introduced, he's introduced as the rabbit. So right. he's a grown man dressed as a rabbit who comes yep. and sneaks into apartment viewings to poop in their bathroom. So, that when prospective buyers come into the bathroom, they walk in on a, a dude in a rabbit costume shitting. <laughs> yes. And that, apparently, that image never leaves you. So, right. Um, yeah. Which I would be surprised. I, guess, I would be surprised. That's, that's what this book is. Like, yeah, yes. the guy doesn't lose the rabbit head until like five chapters to the end. Like, <laughs> it's.
0: Yeah. Um, and he doesn't have pants on or something, too. Like his pants yeah. got caught, yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yep. Anyway, that's
1: Evan Leonard. and Anna andna hires Roger to disrupt these apartment viewings that they go to so that Roger can win the apartment so that he can do the flipping and resell it and feel like he's contributing to um to to their partnership. And it is both
0: like, crazy and so sweet crazy and so sweet. (laughs) crazy and so sweet yeah and um so they're playing out that right and so that's why the apartment is important to them and um then there's there's a a queer couple couple. Ro and Julia Julia
1: and Julia is pregnant and they are both well, Ro is is portrayed as like the idiot, idiot, where she's just kind of like there, here for the food. And then um, yes. Julia has a lot of anxieties about being a mom, which it yes. turns out, I mean, I don't have kids. Um, I am happily child-free, but uh-huh. I'm not anti-child necessarily. Right, right. <laughs> with exceptions, I will I will hold exceptions, but a lot of my friends are, you know, having kids and it's, it seems like nobody really has an answer to like, what made you feel ready? And they're like, I don't know. I still don't feel ready. Just yeah. Ready. Oh
0: yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And they're not, and they're yeah. not. And it's, and it says so much about, um, their relationship, because I think when you see these two interact, mm-hmm. it's like every once in a while you see those couple, those couples and you're just like, every time I see them, they just seem to be fighting or criticizing each other or yeah. having a blow up. Uh, I wonder why they're together. And then you find out that the way they met was this very intense thing and they knew they could trust each other and it was just mm-hmm. the right timing and they can be really real with each other and blah, blah, blah.
1: Not and everybody's relationship looks the same. And I thought that that right. was a really nice reminder. Oh. Um, I mean, this whole book is a nice reminder that not everybody's life looks the same, but the the main themes are this, like, they carry through. So this this fear of caring for a child and making sure that they're cared for, that's the same thing that Annalena is feeling for Roger. And the same yeah. thing that Roger feels, for, Roger feels for her, which is why he keeps participating in all these projects.
0: Yeah. Uh, And And Jack and Jim, Jack and Jim. Yeah. So I think
1: it's just supposed to bring that like humanity to the relationship between like parent and child, because I think there's a lot of lines too, where you can tell that this author really empathizes with like the parental character. Because there's so many like comments about how parents are judged by their mistakes. Like you can yes. have um, a million beautiful moments with your child and then something happens and that's what is imprinted
0: forever. Yeah, it's something like, do you know what the word, the man on the bridge, mm-hmm. the man on the bridge tells the Jack, who is the young pop. When Jack was 10 years old and he was standing with the man on the bridge, he says, Do you know what the worst thing about being a parent is? That you're always judged by your worst moments. Parents are defined by their mistakes. And like you can have your child gets hit by a swing and that's all that anyone remembers ever. Yeah. You know, and it's like, gosh, that's so intense. (laughs) That's so intense. It's
1: very, and it makes the pressure so high. Like how can you expect anyone to do a perfect job? when oh, yeah. you have to do it perfectly forever. And I don't know. I I think this book really touches on something that has been... So I'm trying. It, it's one of those, like, I know it's something I should do and it's very difficult, but it's um, more, more softness with people and harsher on the systems that bring the problems. Like, people yeah. and individuals are we're all idiots. (laughs) We're all just idiots trying to figure it out. Yes. yes. I appreciate that this book really does force you to acknowledge that every human being is flawed. Your parents, people that loved you, they fucked up. Doesn't matter.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And it's because somebody fucked them up. Uh Uh-huh a long time ago and it's just keep going. People are hurting, they're doing their best and then something crazy happens to them and then they try to fix that and they keep get going in another direction and everybody's fighting a battle, you know, every mm-hmm. single person. So a couple of mechanical parts of this book that you should know is part of it is told, like Emily was saying, it's not in any kind of particular linear many order. It's part of it is witness statements to the police. And when you get to the end and you realize what the policemen actually know about what happened, then all of the interviews take on a different light because they're trying to get them, they're trying to get the people who were at the apartment viewing and the real estate agent to tell them about uh, the viewing and what happened when the robber came and what happened when they left. And they, because they can't all-
1: find the robber, the robber has escaped. A
0: robber has and all skin. the
1: hostages are released and they cannot find the robber,
0: and they so, cannot find the robber. And a gun went off, mm-hmm, so they're concerned
1: that the robber was hurt. And yes, you find out later, much, 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 much later, through a series of very convoluted actions and consequences, yes. Yes. like including the rabbit having a fake blood capsule. I, yes. I, I don't know that I think there was a line where I it want was like that job basically. Oh my God. Um, but accidentally pops open and the gun accidentally goes off, but no one is hurt. And it's just, uh, there's so many little things you unlearn as this book goes. Oh Um,
0: yes. Oh yes. That hit the the unraveling of things. But so a lot of it is, you know, if if I tell you to picture a police questioning a witness, you might picture some tough, you know, (laughs) Tough people talking to each other. And that's not what any of these statements sound like. They sound like the people are like, ah, can we be done with this? This is ridiculous. Like nobody seems really scared or no one, traumatized. Me,
1: seriously, everybody seems like this, the, like a just a complete incompetent <laughs> idiot, like truly. And you later find out that they're trying to be incompetent. They're there. They already had yeah. off. It's not that much of an act, but (laughs) there is at least feigned ignorance to
0: protect the
1: identity of the bank robber because you find out that um, she is just a mom trying to keep uh, custody of her children.
0: Yes. uh, So, oh my gosh, I'm going to ask you that right now since you brought it up. Something you don't really realize as you're reading it for hundreds of pages, you don't realize that they they always say the bank robber the bank robber did this, the bank robber did that. What did you? When did you see the bank robber? Was the bank robber there when you left? And they never used he or she or, and then suddenly you find out that it's a mom and that the whole story has been about a mom. And up until that point, I don't know if you were, but I was picturing it being a dad. Yep. Were you? Yes. Yep. Yep. And what, how did you react when that, what happened in your brain when you realized it was a mom? It took me a minute
1: like to to really recognize like the implications of that in terms of like the bigger statement, right? And because so much of this book has been about your assumptions and how they negatively affect um, your ability to create re- relationships, right?
0: Yeah. And so like when
1: I was picturing the male bank robber, I had like a very specific image in my head of like a dude, like a big dude with a ski mask and a gun. And then now with this information, this twist of like, this is a woman who not only um, is <laughs> like not intimidating, um, but also like somebody who has up until this point not wanted to be a problem like so much of the the bank robber's story was told is like the dad didn't want to get in the way didn't want to make a fuss didn't want to um get lawyers involved just wanted you know everyone to be happy and that and at the time I was like that's a good dad right then, because that feels I'm like that's surprising right know, and that's that surprising, surprising to me. Yes. and then, like now, with that being, like the gender norm switched, it's like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Of course she wouldn't want to say anything. Of course she wouldn't want to rock the boat. Um, right. There's just, I don't know. And then it also makes her breaking point so much more dramatic, knowing yes. that there's been years and years of not being able to express a need. And then finally yeah. just like, I'm going to figure it out. Um, yeah. Yes, and making a bad decision.
0: Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it was. So the the way they end up in this predicament is this bank robber was trying to rob a cashless bank, which I didn't know exists. I'm like, what does that even mean? And they're in they're in Sweden, and yeah. they're in a little tiny town the day before New Year's Eve, and this bank robber's desperate, and the the teller is kind of just like oh my God, are you really trying to rob this bank right now? We don't even have any money. (laughs) We're just like, get out of here. (laughs) That part of the story is like, wow. It's that character of uh, what I think this is. It's a screenplay. It's like every scene, I'm like, I want to see this scene. I really want to see how they do How do they put all those women in the closet, smoking cigarettes and like, then they Mm -hmm. find the guy with the rabbit head and like, how do I want to see what that looks like. That's ridiculous, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. It's, it's insane. The cashless bank. So the robber realizes that they can't get the money they need from this cashless bank. So they just run into the first open door when they hear cop cars. And the open door happens to be this apartment viewing. Mm-hmm. And they happen to be holding a gun. And so they don't mean to be holding up a room full of people, but that's a Exactly what it feels like because somebody runs into the room with a gun and you're all scared. Yeah. But also this person isn't shouting at you to lay down or making any demands, they're just kind of scared too. And all of these people are so weird that they just respond in the weirdest way. They're just
1: aggressive like like- ways. Like that was one thing that I that that now with the gender reveal. Yes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I it makes a lot more sense people's willingness willingness to be confrontational with her um because when I picture like scary man with gun I feel like even Roger who is very combative at the beginning with the bank robber wanted to yeah. you know, what information just want to know what's going on and he's everybody's boomer dad you know like Yes. In, in this moment where you're like, please don't make it worse. Please
0: don't make it worse. Yes. And yes. Then... <laughs> Oh, my God. But,
1: but when you think about it being like a smaller woman with a gun, it becomes much less of what I think a lot of people would consider an immediate threat because of how yeah. unlikely it is that a woman with a gun will shoot you as opposed to a man with a gun. I hate that that statistic is a thing, but it's a it's a thing.
0: Right. But <laughs> also more like, oh, this is unusual. Yeah. What, why are you here? What is going on here? You know, it is, it's surprising enough that it's a really powerful choice that yeah, it, it's a really powerful choice because when that shift happened and my brain went back through all the previous scenes, it was like, oh, okay. It was, the man having an affair with the secretary or whatever the boss
1: yeah
0: and then (laughs) oh it was the woman with trying to keep the apartment oh it was a woman right she's a woman this whole time like it shook my brain so much that I made such a big assumption yeah I, I probably took a break that night just to rethink the whole book up to that point knowing this that they go from you 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 understand like why they all need the apartment. One of them is just trying to keep their marriage going by flipping apartments. The other one doesn't really want the apartment. You're finding out all of that kind of through, not only through the story, through just narration, but through the um, the witness statements as well. And you never hear anything about this, the real estate agent, except on the witness stand, really, because the real estate agent just goes to the bathroom at the beginning of the showing and then climbs out onto the roof <laughs> and couldn't get back in is that what happened yeah yeah oh and then God. she just her, she just stayed there and then yeah.
1: eventually they came and got her as they were like yeah <laughs> you've been here this whole time her Way out for the the bank robber i think
0: Yes. Oh my God. It's so weird. Okay. So then the sweet, sad parts of this are all through as well, because when you initially meet these two cops who are handling this hostage situation, you find out that the younger cop was the boy that talked one person off a ledge, but not the other. And then they both just lost Jack's mom, Jim's wife, who was a pastor and also just really wacky and forward and like always a cool kind of
1: yeah making that's, the church man making atheists man making everybody mad yeah i love it yes we yes it. yes and
0: great character that's not even really in the book just in their memories and but still such a powerful character this yeah. mom.
1: i mean all of this is trying to be worthy of other people right and, like the good person that this these other people would want you to be your children your parents yeah your spouse um and i think so much of what drives jack and jim is just the memory of of her and what she would expect of them so like there's a there's another quote i did not write this one down and i knew i should have but it, it was something about how Jim likes to do things the right way, and Jack likes to do things the correct way. And how? Uh, <laughs>
0: yes, yes. And they describe he does such a quick. Bachman is so good at creating a character so quickly. Mm-hmm. It's like this is the dad. The dad's kind of making fun that his son doesn't drink coffee and his son eats too much vegetables. Like,
1: <laughs> and yeah. the son
0: is making fun of the dad for being in the dark ages and kind of wants to be on his own. And, but then you understand that it's not this tough guy thing. It's they're both very delicate because they just, they have like two women in their life. One one is his sister who is kind of an addict and gone and they're always trying to find her, but they're very hopeful about it, but not really. And they're trying to be realistic about it, but they, kind of take turns being hopeful about whether or not she's okay. And so this picture of this cop who's trying to act real tough and find the bad guy, but really he's just like really worried about everybody Mm -hmm. because he's seen people jump off a bridge and he doesn't know where his sister is and his mom just died, you know? And so he gives the character so much to for you to Love them. You know, you have to be forgiving of whatever personality they have almost because you understand so much about them now. Right. So Jack and Jim are suffering and trying to do the right thing for different reasons. And that whole story is kind of sweet and also ridiculous and heartbreaking. Like they're not that great. They're not in a big town. So they really don't know what to do. And it's, you know, it's probably the most exciting thing that's happened in this town in a long time. Um, But they're not some big city cops that know how to handle this. So the the handling of it is a little silly as well. Going up and down the stairs, Mm -hmm. are these explosives? Can we call them? (laughs) Christmas lights. Can Um, can, we order pizza? And, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, there's a character that we haven't met yet. Okay. Estelle. Mm -hmm. I don't think we've talked about Estelle yet. Lennart was the one who was in the rabbit, right? Yeah. So
1: Estelle is the old woman who, when the book starts, she just seems like drunk grandma. You know what I mean? Loves her wine. Yes. Here, (laughs) hanging out. Um, But you find out that she owned uh, the apartment. And she had been having this, um, well, her husband had died recently, Canute. And she keeps saying that Canute's getting the car. He's just parking the car. He's just parked. Because she likes to feel like he's coming eventually. And
0: that- Oh my God. Like, why? Why would you do that? Um, I know, I know. That was so sad. so, sad.
1: And I get that like grieving is one of those things where like sometimes you just need to like, give yourself that fake reality so that you can yeah. not be in the sharp place for a little bit it's just so real and
0: yeah. oh yeah
1: but anyways you find out that she had lived she lives in the apartment and this is yeah. her apartment viewing and she just wanted to have people there on new year's eve because they had always had people and over for new year's eve and she was very lonely and that's It's just, it hurts so bad because the whole book, it talks about how like isolation is what's driving these people to these breaking points. And then once they come together as a community in this apartment, learning each other's stories and being supportive, that's when they start to feel like, oh, I can be a parent. We can be honest in our marriage about what our needs are.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he he lets people be deeply real and flawed. Like the um dynamic between Ro and Julia. A lovable mess. Like Roe is the one that's trying something different every day. Like, mm-hmm. I'm gonna make cheese. I'm gonna become a welder. Like, and Julia is anxious about everything, snapping about everything. But you do get a sense that they love each other. And yeah. it's because you hear their story of how they're coming together. And, um, oh, it's so sweet because like why everyone wants the apartment, really the only people that want the apartment are
1: Annalena and
0: Roger and Roe and Julia, right? They're the only ones legitimately considering buying the apartment. Mm -hmm. But the reason why Annalena and Roger want it is just to keep this Uh, kind of obsessive movement going so that they don't have to deal with kind of their life slowing down. And there's this great kind of analogy about Annalena where she, what's attractive about going to apartment viewings is that you can picture someone having a home there, but a different step is wanting a home. That's a different step like flipping houses constantly isn't the same as settling down and having a house, yeah
1: Absolutely. So, yeah
0: yeah so they're they're just doing it to like flip it and sell it, whereas Julia and Roe are trying to figure out where they're gonna raise their family right and they and also they're, this
1: apartment doesn't have Wi-Fi. That's a weirdly important plot point because it means that no one can call for help and they they can only talk to the cops through the door. And it's also a reason why in the end, nobody actually wants the apartment because it doesn't have Wi-Fi. So the big Hi. final twist is that Estelle, this sweet old wine granny, has been having what she calls an affair, but truly it is just, I don't even know. I Technically, yes, it is an affair, but also yeah. it, it's just like a book. She meets her next door neighbor, the apartment next door, the handsome man he likes to read. Um, Annalena's husband, Canute, does not love to read. That's also fine. He likes music. I get it. Um, yes. But um, she starts exchanging books with this other man in the elevator and they don't really talk to each other, but they'll underline little passages that are just very sweet and lovely, and they're just little love letters to each other through these books. And then um, the old the, the man died, and before he died, he, he gave her a key to his apartment. Yes. And because Estelle has this key, she can help the bank robber escape into the apartment next door and... When the cops come in, they'll come in and find the uh, vacant apartment empty, and <laughs> they'll assume that sh- the bank robber had fled. So that's how the bank robber ends up escaping from the police.
0: Yes, yes, and so there are some, we're we're giving some spoiler alerts, I'm <laughs> sure. Yeah, but I don't think it. I don't think it ruins anything because the way he does the reveal the pacing and the order of all of these reveals is so satisfying because your opinion changes about people from chapter to chapter because you know a little bit more about their story and it makes their actions more plausible and more acceptable because you sort of back up and you see like and they start treating each other a certain way. They kind of go to different corners. Uh, When the rabbit shows up, (laughs) and the first thing you might think is like, oh, Annalena is having an affair with that man. Mm -hmm. But then you go, oh, that can't be it because why would he be here at this apartment viewing in the bathroom? That doesn't make any sense. Why is he dressed
1: as a rabbit? Like none of that makes (laughs) any sense. But it is the simplest assumption, right? Like we are always taught um, if it's hoof beats, it's not zebras, right? Like, chances are, it's probably not zebras,
0: but... Right, it would be very surprising.
1: (laughs) But all that said, there are, like, everybody has layers to some degree. I mean, it's something that I think is hard to remember, I think, when we see each other behind a screen so often and you don't get that that conflict, I guess, or that confrontation of, um, like, being in person, And having to talk it through, like you can't, I don't know. We're not forced to do that with each other anymore. We're not forced to maintain community ties the same way that we did back in the day, I guess. I don't even know if we ever were good at that. (laughs) But I think that a a big part of the takeaway, because at the end, all the characters, aside from the bank robber are maintaining contact and trying to be you know, looking after each other. There is a quote that I, I wrote down and I really wanted to share. And it was, I believe, I can't remember where I pulled this from now. Um, the pastor mother, I can't remember her name. Um, oh, to right, death. yes. But it's, God doesn't protect people from knives, sweetheart. That's why God gave us other people so we can protect each other. And I just felt so gutted by that because it it, to me, that it encapsulates what I feel like is the most important thing about like suicide prevention. And that's like making sure that you have support and community. Um mm. And a part of that might be reaching outside of your nuclear family or reaching outside of the people that are directly near you. And mm. sometimes being in situations in which you're forced to be uncomfortable means that you can make those kinds of connections. Um And it's, it can completely alter like a downward spiral, right?
0: Yes. I'm just realizing that like the book just got a level bigger or deeper in my mind right now because it's called Anxious People. And it's funny when I asked Paul, my boyfriend, if he wanted to read it, he was like, I don't know (laughs) Do I need to read about anxious people when I'm like so fully immersed in my own life of being an anxious person. And I'm like, well, you don't understand it's human and it's sweet and it, it it'll it make you feel good because you'll realize just how human everybody is and it's kind of allows you to be forgiving on such a level and then so it's called anxious people and it's like you take all these people and you put them in a place and you turn up the heat and it's like they're even more anxious mm-hmm. but also they're ridiculous and they're funny and they're doing their best and they're <laughs> bumping into each other and saying stupid things but with good intentions and none of them are over glamorized in any way and that's the thing you don't like any of the characters really
1: like <laughs> they're all kind of inseparable in different ways yes and I can 100% understand why someone would not like this book um, oh really oh yeah absolutely I think that the level of like Unsympatheticness that is show is that a word like the not yes, the it lack is. Of it is now the lack of sympathies, yes, <laughs> yes, is um, it just felt very obvious in the first half of the book, and I felt like I don't know, like, like we weren't supposed to like these people, yeah. and as and I could understand why people would like be very turned off by that, like, I don't like anybody in this book, everybody's a dick, and kind of like. Like oh god, just talk nobody's about nobody's a
0: hero. Nobody's no, like
1: glamorous.
0: and everybody's like being kind of obtuse, or maybe yeah. like the the word Stockholm, right? As oh my god, it's like, so funny! It's so it's funny because you're like, oh, I know what they're doing. He's he's making so this Stockholm reference is these people are in a very small town in Sweden, and when they refer to anything. That is supposed to be like weird or exotic or gay or queer or anything, they'll call it Stockholm. <laughs>
1: and the, anything stupid, too, because it's like, oh, these dumb people from the city, the Stockholmers oh, come in and they ruin, they hate yes. Stockholmers because if yes. you're hunting for an apartment, people with resources coming in and swooping them up from yes. the city, stupid Stockholmers, they don't even know. Yeah. So yes. it, it- <laughs> It was not it's a comment that like, really struck me right away as an American listener. Yeah,
0: this um, is, <laughs> oh my God, to me, what that me. sounded like is when you, when I was a waitress in Charleston, South Carolina, mm-hmm. and all these tourists from the north would start coming down, and we would just be like, oh God, where they come? <laughs> and they just, we didn't understand, you know, like, why are they all so white? Yeah, it's April, why are they like, this? you know, why are they pasty and so excited? Why do they talk that way? Like, why do they have these beliefs? Like we were just like, ooh, okay, whatever. They're coming down. They love it here for whatever reason. Because they would be like, Have you ever been to Michigan? And I'm like, no. Why? Would I? Oh, no, I, we don't want to come there. I mean, it's funny I mean, now.
1: It's, you you have a I have like the experience going north and being that person. <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh yeah <laughs> what you
1: mean? of course, of course. Like, like I'm the tourist I don't know I I totally understand it's it's very I don't know we're we've become protective of our space and things yes. that feel different and who is considered a stock homer. I love that he made it so completely arbitrary like I, that really did so oh, yeah like, that was the most important part was that it was literally anybody you don't like is a stockholder <laughs> for whatever and, reason
0: you want. <laughs> and even the stockholders were kind of in on it. They were like, you know how we are, you know, and, and they were even all acknowledging that the use of the word was dumb. You, you know, it's like, we're going to throw this word around because we don't know any better, but also it's the only way we know how to say this thing we're trying to say, you know, mm-hmm. and, And it's, what he's so good at, what he is so good at is that painting the actual damn picture, because it's not written to make it high drama, like somebody's going to come out of it like the sexy hero,
1: you
0: know. It's not meant to be too, too romantic. It's not meant to be like everybody's problems are solved in the end. It's just the story the way it is. And it is a beautiful story, because the bank robber has two little kids. There's this, there's this thing that is uh, flowing through the whole story, which is the the one of the cops has a little picture that was found on the stairs. It's a picture of like a, a giraffe and a monkey and a horse um, or something, a dog. Frog, I think. A frog, yes. And they're trying to go like, what does this picture mean to you? And they all know what it is they all know it's a little picture that the bank robber had in her pocket that her kids drew and she was feeling desperate. And she, that was her family. And, but no one ever admits that they know what it is. And when they, when he wraps up the story with like, the reveal is that the two apartments used to be one big apartment, so there's a way to get from one to the other, and there's that crawl space, and there's a key, and there's all this stuff. All that is revealed, and then it's revealed that both apartments are being bought and Estelle is staying in one, but the bank robber and her kids are staying with her Mm -hmm. and sort of renting it because they could never afford it, and it's so, sweet because they all get to like be together. They yeah. sort of they sort of rescue the bank robber.
1: They do. And I think it just goes to show what can happen when
0: you have support. Right? Yes, Emily, you are absolutely right. Well, I know we could keep going on and on about this book and I hope other people read it and love it and have good conversations and more empathy for other humans out there. Thank you so much for listening and for suggesting books. You can find Emily Petersmark's music by her band's website, thecranewives.com. Thecranewives.com. And check out her visual art by searching at Sauce, Ermsauce, E R M S A U C E. Thanks for listening.